Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, go to the book of James. The right side over here, which is your left. Those are the awake people. Everybody else, grab some coffee. Mark, uh, Mark. James, <laughs> guess what I need? James, James chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 8 is what we're going to kick off from, even though we're going to read out of 4 and go into 5. We have two weeks left of this series. The reminder, this Friday night at 7, what time? 7 o'clock. This is uh, one of my favorite, if not my favorite, service of the entire year. Um, it is going to be a blast. We've got gifts for all the kids to have to interact with the service at the end. Candles that we're going to light at the end for the adults and teenagers. Um, I cannot wait. Uh, this is just, I feel like every year uh, we have just, things have kind of stepped up more and more and more. And so I'm going to challenge you, be here early uh, to find a seat. If you are one of those people that you have a specific seat that you sit in every single Sunday, I'm just going to tell you, be here early or else you're going to give nasty looks on Christmas candlelight service to people sitting in your seat. So get here early. We're going to have music playing. It's going to be a, an unbelievable night. I am so absolutely stoked. Uh, anybody catch the Lions game last night, by the way? The Lions have won more games last night than the Pistons have won the past month. Let's just leave it there. I'm going to get angry. I don't want to get angry. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word? James 5.8, I'm just going to kick off from one verse, and then we're going to read a ton of Scripture today. James 5.8, you too must be patient, take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Be patient. My grandma would say, hold your horses. Whatever that means. It's raised in Detroit, there were no horses. But we had to hold them. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy that follows us all of the days of our lives. Thankful that we can celebrate who you are. And we also know that, Jesus, you're coming again. So we embrace your salvation. We embrace your grace. And, Lord, we want to live today like you're coming in five minutes. So I pray, impact our lives in a powerful way. Challenge our hearts. Shake us from maybe the spiritual sleepiness that we've been carrying with us, that we would live life with an eternal perspective. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, would you turn and give someone a high five and tell them this? Nobody really likes eggnog, so... But nobody makes, nobody gets more angry than I make, when, when I make comments about food. Goodness. Goodness. I'm going to ask for forgiveness from a lot of people this year. Oh, my word. This has nothing to do with anything. For some reason this week, I was thinking about my very first marital fight over Christmas. Yeah, have you ever had a fight over Christmas stuff with, in your marriage? Our very first one was over real tree versus fake tree. Because to me, Christmas is not Christmas unless you step on a pine needle and you got to pull it out of your toe. That's Christmas. And we've had a fake tree ever since. Or here's the other fight that I've lost. Um, 
I believe that when you fill a stocking, the stocking is the wrapping. My wife believes that everything in the stocking has to be individually wrapped. Man, nobody knows how to divide a church like a pastor does. Oh, my word. Oh, you remember all the lessons you learn young in marriage? Anybody else besides the Beringers make mistakes young in marriage? Nobody's raising their hand, a bunch of liars in the house of God. Um, when we, we got married, we were, man, we were so young. Who let us get married, baby? Um, we were so young. And we survived, and then we said the same thing when, when Camry was born. We're like, who let us leave the hospital with this child? Who thought we could be trusted with a child? Um, but I remember we were, we were pregnant. You were pregnant. I was not. Um, but we, we wanted to get, like, I'm like, we got to get a rocking chair. She goes, no, we got to get a glider. There's another fight I lost. I don't win a lot of fights, do I? Uh, but I, I love a, a good rocking chair. So we wanted to get a glider so that when, you know, if, if the child were to happen to wake up in the middle of the night, which never happens, uh, we have a glider to sit in. And so we went to uh, that great Christian establishment, Art Van, and walked around. We found a glider. And no, this was so cool, is we bought a glider that day. And we know what's awesome is you don't have to make any payments for a year. It's like free money. I'm not going to ask for any hands regarding anybody young in their marriage that ever fell for. You can make payments if you want, but you don't have to pay anything. And there's no interest for a year. I mean, isn't that an amazing deal? Who doesn't do this more? And so I remember I was talking with our kids' pastor about it. Him and his wife uh, just were mentors, kind of early mentors in our life with marriage and ministry. Older than us, had a few years on us. And I remember telling him about it. I'm like, it's like getting it for free. He goes, do you understand what that means? I'm like, what? He says, for 365 days, zero interest. You have to make zero payments. We have to make payments in that month number 13. I said, that's true. He says, but on day number 366, all of the interest from 12 months that has been magically accumulating in a dark room that nobody knows about appears in that first payment, and I panicked, because we had like two months left, and it was the first time, and I think the only time I've ever borrowed money from my parents, as a couple hundred dollars, I'm like, which I don't think I paid back, but <laughs> I don't think my parents are watching today, please don't watch today, um, I don't think yeah, we paid that back, but I remember just rushing to our band and paying it off, because I just didn't want all of that coming back, it's just Something about us as human beings that sometimes we make momentary decisions based off of a momentary perspective. And there's so often in life and so often in things, we make decisions, we make calls, especially spiritual calls, on a moment of emotion or a moment of trouble, a moment of trial, and we don't make decisions based off an eternal perspective. How many times have we said stupid things in our marriage to our spouse or to our kids or to our boss out of a moment and not having a bigger perspective at hand? This is the context that we're talking about today. And the message is simply called an eternal attitude or an eternal perspective. Maybe what might have been a, another good word to utilize. But we need to have an eternal attitude when it comes to life. 
We have to have an eternal attitude. We have to be able to look at life not by what simply happens in the moment or not by simply by what the news tells you to be afraid of or what to argue about or what to say in the moment, not what social media is buzzing about and the things that trend. We have to get to the place where we actually look at life and we have an eternal attitude about everything. We have to. And so before we get into the main meat, uh, let's start reading. I'm going to read... Um, where we left off last week. So I'm going to look at uh, J James chapter 4, verse 1. Because this is like a bridge section. James comes in with a parental two-by-four, so to speak, is what we'll call it. And he starts dealing with the church. And he says, where do you think all of these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Wait, people fought in the church back then? Yes. Did you know there are fights in churches sometimes? Yes, my first ever church business meeting, somebody showed up, I didn't recognize them. I'm like, do I know you? He goes, I don't go to this church. I just heard you have a church business meeting tonight. I'm here to watch the fight. <laughs> no joke. I'm like, all right. If you like, you could stay, you could attend. He goes, do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and you're willing to kill to get it. Is, you want what isn't yours and, you're, and you will risk violence to get your hands on it. How would you like to be a part of that church? I am? <laughs> Is there something I don't know happens after church in the parking lot? Verse 2. You wouldn't think of just asking for it, would you? Are asking for God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. You thought I was joking about the two-by-four from James. He is smacking us upside down. You're cheating on God. If you all want your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies with God and His way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has said it, that he's a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you will find. Whew. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud, and God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God, and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. I've heard that before. Not from other, to other people. Hit bottom and, he'll, and you'll cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious. Get really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you will get on your feet. Don't badmouth each other, friends. It's God's word, his message, his royal rule that takes a beating in that kind of talk. You're supposed to be honoring the message, not writing graffiti all over, all over it. God is in charge of deciding human destiny. Who do you think you are to meddle in the destiny of others? I feel like we all just got a spanking. Not a spanking, it's a spanking. There's a difference. And this, this portion that we've just read could have easily been tagged onto last week because James talks about, as you walk in wisdom, that you ought to be agents of peace. And so we can easily take this portion and just, we could have just read it at the end of last week saying, as agents of peace, here's how you're supposed to act. Or, this is why it's a bridge, it leads into today because he's like, you're getting so caught up in the temporal and in the moment that you're got your, you've got your eyes off of eternity. They're caught up in a moment. 
looking at the moment and what it gives, and they're missing the bigger perspectives, which is why James begins to get into this urgency. And you can hear it there. I read it out of the message paraphrase. You get this urgency that you've got to get your eyes off of the now and begin to look toward eternal things. I love the words of the, of the Prince of Preachers. His name is Charles Spurgeon. He says this, Unless we purposely live with a view of the next world, we cannot make, make much out of our present existence. That's good. Or C.S. Lewis, Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. So good. And I think they're preaching better than you're responding this morning. Goodness gracious. So this morning, can, can we have... Can I make, give you a little recipe today? I love the Food Network. I love watching cooking shows. So I'm going to give you some ingredients today because what I want to help install in our church, in our church body, is I want us to have an eternal attitude in the way that we look at the world around us. So if you're, if you're a recipe writer, Downer, there's a horrible grammar for you. Write this down. Number one, write this, our time is short. If you're sitting next to your spouse, just tell them, your time is short. Now you're going to check your life insurance. I've got a life insurance guy in this church if you need it. There we go. Our time is short. Verse 13. Chapter 4, verse 13. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town and we will stay there a year. We will do business there and we will make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. Right here, we get, it's like a parent talking to a child. He's like, look at me. Fix your eyes on me. Have you ever had to say that to a kid before? Look here. Look, listen to me with your eyes. And James is looking at the church, and he's trying to correct them. And understand this, because some people are like, well, God is full of grace. God is full of love. God, he's, he doesn't discipline his church. He, he loves us. But I'm here to say this, that love is not love without discipline, and discipline without love is abuse. And God gives us correction, not for our destruction, but for our protection. And there are times the Word gives us correction, not because God wants to kick us, knock us down, and kick us more. God gives us correction because He wants us to have an understanding that this is not our world. We're going to talk about that in a second. We're passing through. And He talks about it. He says, you say to yourselves, verse 13, we will. We will do this. We will do that. But understand that life is a fog. Some of your translations say, I think it's the ESV says, life is a mist. A mist. That's it. That's life. This is what I used to spray my cat at five in the morning when Moses starts singing. Literally. Like, that's mean. You let Moses sing you at five o'clock and then you tell me if you, that you're wanting to do this or throw shoes. This is our mister. But this is what he says. This is, it's a mist. Is it hot in here? Okay. It's a mist because it's here and then it's gone. And he's trying to give this illustration in this moment to these people to help them to know that you don't understand how short time is. On October uh, 7th, 1999, when Cammy was born, I just held her in my arms and just having like one of the greatest moments of my life. And my dad leans over my shoulder and says, son, don't blink. Don't blink because she'll graduate high school. I'm like, well... Way to suck the joy out of the moment, Dad. 
And then all of a sudden, 18 years later, I could tell you where we were in our neighborhood, where Anna and I are walking. We go on walks in our neighborhood all the time. I could tell you where we were, and I was in this panic. And I just kept saying, did I do enough? Did we have enough daddy-daughter dates? Did we have enough time, enough talks? Was I a good father? Did I do right by her? Did I discipline her too hard? Did I, did I show her enough kindness? Did I point her in the right direction? Did I talk to her about Jesus enough? Did I pray with, I started going through panic. My wife's like, you, you did just fine. But there was just something about getting to those moments in life where you, where you ask yourself, where has time gone? We're on December the 17th. How many of you in the past week have said, where has the year gone? Life is a mist. And we have to have that eternal perspective because if we lose our eternal dis uh, perspective, what we end up getting is an attitude of self-sufficiency. When we lose the idea that we have an eternity in heaven or hell, what we end up doing is we live for the moment. And when we live for the moment, we live in this place of self-sufficiency. And instead of depending upon God, we depend upon ourselves and we live for ourselves. Well, Pastor, I know about eternal perspective, but I'm here to say this. It's one thing to know that you're going to spend eternity somewhere. It's a whole other way to live it here on this earth. Let me give you another quote. I came across this, and forgive me, it's, it's a country music quote. Oh, Lord of mercy. Tim McCross says this. Where did I see this at? Someday I hope you will get a chance to live like you were dying, like tomorrow was a gift, and you've got eternity to think about what did I do with it. That's deep, isn't it? It's a mist. It's a moment. So let me redeem the country music moment here. Oh, where did my other, I lost my other quote. So I had another quote. Can you put that up there? Martin Luther says, live as though Christ died yesterday, rose again, and is returning tomorrow. Better than the country music thing. <laughs> live today like Christ died yesterday, he rose and he's coming back in the next minute, in the next second. And so many of us are so busy trying to, to live to fulfill a feeling, rather live to fulfill the heart of the Father. And so what we got to do is we have to ask ourselves the question, what would life look like if we have 30 days left to live? One of my first series I ever did, my first summer, back in 2009, I did a whole series called 30 Days to Live. How would life look different if we had 30 days left? Pastor, this is the most morbid thing that you've said in a while, and it's Christmas season. Be happier. Number two, our purpose is God's plan. Here's our second ingredient. Your purpose, our purpose, my purpose, it's the plan of God. Now, no, it doesn't say that whatever you want to do, that's going to be God's plan. No, no, no. His purposes, or sorry, His plan, that's our purpose. That's what drives us. It's what God wants for our lives. Verse 15. What you ought to do, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, your boasting is about your own pretentious plans, and such boasting is evil. We have to recognize that God has a plan for you. Look at your neighbor and say, God's got a plan for you. I'm here to say this, two things about God's plan. Number one, God's plan for you is always good. It is always good. And the second thing about God's plan is sometimes it's really difficult. Some of you married people need to be saying amen. Some of you are like, yeah, you're laughing. That's true. It's like, 
It's like watching QVC. There are six easy payments in 1999. I wish they'd be real and say, there are three easy payments and three of them are probably going to be harder than you realize. There are moments where we just have to recognize that God's plan for us, it's difficult, but know this, even in the difficulty, there is goodness on the other side of His plan. And His plan, because God has a universal plan for all of us, and I think His universal plan is that we would all, that we would all come to know Him, step into relationship with Him, and live out the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Go into all the world that you are to receive Christ, and go to be a witness and make disciples of everybody around, that wherever you go, that you would share the light of Jesus Christ. That's God's universal plan for all of us. And in fact, get this, in the first week of February, this is cool, we haven't promoted this yet, we are hosting a citywide missions conference to stoke the heart of missions in the local church. We are joining nine other churches, and we are utilizing our facility and having a missions conference to stoke the heart of missions and the lost and the Great Commission in Kalamazoo. We want to see Kalamazoo revived, and it can't revive if the church is sleeping, waiting for Jesus to come back. We need to wake up and begin to recognize we've got purpose, and our purpose is not to sit silent. It's to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's got a plan. And not just he has to have a plan for all of us, but individually, I believe he's got a plan for you. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he's prepared beforehand, which we should walk in them. God has got a plan for all of us together, but he's also got plans for you. You're not here just to sit and to do nothing and just to take up space that God has placed you in that restaurant. He's placed you in that, in, in that office. He has placed you in that neighborhood. He's placed you in that home. He has placed you in that marketplace. He, wherever he has placed you, he has put you there on purpose and with a purpose that he would flow in you and through your life to make his name famous. And so one of my joys is to sit and to help people discover God's fit, their fit in God's kingdom, and to help equip them to do that. This great quote by Mark Twain says this, two of the most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. And I want to help you find out your why. Our pastoral, pastoral staff wants you to help, out, help you find your why. One of the great ways to find out your why, honestly, is to serve on a team. Some of y'all have never served on a team in this church. What do we mean by team? We have a first impressions team. We have a sound and tech team. We have a worship team. We have kids teams, youth leadership teams. We have people that serve in the food pantry team. And if you need to learn your fit, go join a team because if it's not a fit, you will know it soon. And that's okay in this church. It's okay to join something and to try something and to realize this isn't a fit and we don't want you just to, just to grip and grant and just kind of push it and, and just last in that and just be in misery. If it's not a fit after a few weeks, you know what? We want you to try another team. Why? Because we want you to find your fit. Because when you find your fit, there is joy in that place. And you serve and you start seeing what God is doing deeper in your life. And there's no greater way to grow than not just only being in the Word, but to be a doer of the Word. Find your fit. And then James throws in verse 17. Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. How many two-by-fours does this guy have? Because he's broken a few of them over my backside already. He says, it's a sin to know what you ought to do. 
well, I ought to tell this person about Jesus, or I ought to get involved, and I ought to serve, and I ought to, I ought to. It's a sin just to ignore that. Why? Because it's, to me, it's not just you're sinning against yourself. Other people are missing out on the blessing that you could be to their life. So the question I ask is, do I know that, and am I living God's purpose for my life? Do I know it? And am I living in God's purpose for my life? Number three, our possessions are not our own. Great way to have an eternal attitude is to recognize that what you have does not belong to you. Chapter five, verse one. Look here, you rich people. Now some of you are like, all right, that's, that's not to me. That's not to me. But this morning, if you woke up in a place that you can sleep with a roof over your head and with food in the refrigerator, you are richer than 75% of the people in this globe. I think he's talking about us. Look, you Americans. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Man, he's just going off today. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away at your flesh like fire. Man. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against the, on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of the heavenly armies. You have spent your years in the earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves on the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who did not resist you. Didn't you have a more encouraging scripture to read and getting this close to Christmas? But James, he begins to hit hard about this idea of possessions. Because what he's describing here in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, is he is describing people who look at their possessions with an earthly mindset. What does he point out? Number one, verse 3, he points out hoarding. What is hoarding? You have way more than you need and you won't let it go. How about we say it this way? This is when, it's not when you have possessions, it's when the possessions have you. It's not wrong to have possessions. I've said this for years. It's not wrong to own a boat. It's just not wrong to not, to not invite me on the boat. It's not wrong to have the motorcycle. It's not wrong to have the, the cars. It's not wrong to have a house. It's not wrong to have these things. But what happens is we become hoarders when it's not when we have things, when the things now possess us, and that's what motivates our life. Secondly, he says, you have not been just. That's verse 4. Not only have you, you have more than you need, you have not been just with what you own. You look and you see people that have need and are, and are owed. He says, You've had workers that you haven't paid them. You haven't treated them well. And then thirdly, he talks about selfishness. The word there is self-indulgence. That's verse 5. He says, what you have is only for your ego. What you have is only for you. And he compares them to fattened calves. And then he utilizes a term, and this is very peculiar, on the day of slaughter. For anybody that has, that has ever said the New Testament does not talk about tithing, you have never read James chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. 
Because the words, the day of slaughter, would have been something that every Jewish man and woman would have read that and knew that he was talking about the harvest. Why was the harvest a big deal? The harvest was time when everything came in, from the fattened calves and the fattened animals to the, all the grain and everything that came from the fields. And the very first thing that they would do when the harvest came in, when the calves and the sheep came in, the very first response is we not just bring it in, but we send out to God and we give him the first and the best. Immediately, we give it and we release it to the Lord. This is what so many people misunderstand. When it comes to giving, giving is not a transaction. Giving is worship. Giving is when we put God first and we say, God, this is for you and for your work. It never belonged to me in the first place. It all belongs to you. And I've said this for years, that if you're here and you're dealing with a stingy spirit, Stingy. My pastor Midland, that was one of his favorite words. If you have a stingy spirit, do you want to know how to, to reconcile a stingy spirit? Give. Giving to a stingy spirit is like kryptonite to Superman. It will weaken a stingy spirit. And I'm so glad that this church, that you're not stingy. I love how giving you are. I love getting reports from, I, I watch the Pontiac Church that we helped launch. We got to be a part of. I love watching them on Facebook. And when, every time I, I get an update from Pastor Dustin, we put an update a couple weeks ago from him just saying thank you to you. But every time I see that he's leading people to Jesus, I look and like, thank God that we don't have a stinty shirt, that you are giving, that you are, that you are, are not just full of grace in what you receive, but you are full in grace in what you give. This past year in the past, Past 11 months, this is how much you have given, get this, over $46,000 to missionaries to help enable the gospel all around the globe. That's what you've done in the past 11 months. In the, in the, uh, the Simply Give, some of y'all did the Simply Give yesterday. Listen, without counting yesterday, you have helped raise $13,232 to help the food pantry and to meet people in their greatest point of need in their lives. Thank you so much for what you are doing. And the question that we ought to be asking ourselves for an eternal perspective is, how can I be a blessing with my blessings? You are not blessed for you. You're blessed to be a blessing. God's giving you talent. Be a blessing. God's giving you finances. Be a blessing. God's giving you time. Be a blessing. And again, it's more than just to, to pay a pastor's salary. It's more than just to send a missionary out. But you're also doing other things, the practical stuff. Like, do you guys enjoy heat in the winter? Thank you for your generosity. What about air conditioning in the summer? One person, amen. We'll just shut off the air conditioning. No, we can't do that. I would melt away on a Sunday morning. Like, take caring for our building, caring for people in the community, launching out ministry, enabling ministry to happen. This happens because you put Jesus first in your life. You give in the drop boxes. You text the gift. I th the majority of our giving right now is all online. I never thought I would see that day that we would see beyond, I think it's 60% or so of people that give. You use the, the app and you use the online giving for, for, uh, for the, the returning giving week after week. Thank you so much for the way that you give. You help enable ministry. That leads us to our last ingredient. Our last ingredient is simply this. Is that our trials are temporary. You want to develop an eternal attitude? First of all, recognize your time is short. 
it's short. And recognize that when in that short time that the purposes that you live are not according to your purposes, that we need to live according to God's plan. That our purposes are His plans. And that leads us to recognize that everything that we have doesn't belong to us, it belongs to Jesus. And then from there, we have to realize that as we follow Jesus, we're going to go through a lot of storms, we're going to go through a lot of struggles, but be of good cheer because trials are temporary. Philippians chapter 3. We are told this, we are citizens of heaven. You're not citizens of this earth. You're not just citizens of America. You're citizens of heaven. Do you want to know why we should act the way we do in the kingdom of God? We don't, because we're citizens of heaven. We talked about this a week or two ago. We're sometimes we're so busy trying to exercise our rights as Americans, some of us need to recognize we are citizens of heaven before we are ever citizens of America. And that's the way we are to operate. That's the way we are to live. Even 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 calls us aliens and strangers. When I was a kid, I read that. I'm like, oh, we're aliens. I had something else in my brain. But what it meant is we're just passing through. Great, great band, DeGarmo and Key, back in the 80s, talked about we're aliens and strangers. We're passing through this land. This world is not our home. I got a brother waiting for me in heaven. This world is not my home. I've got grandparents waiting for me. This world is not my home. And I'm so thankful that when we talk about our trials are temporary, that everything in life has an expiration date. Even death, the most powerful force on this earth, has an expiration date. Because the scripture says, death, you have no sting. What does that mean in the original Greek? That even if death hits you, that it doesn't have poison to it for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because death can end the physical. It can't steal the spirits. We have to have an eternal perspective. And remember, trials are temporary. Verse 7. Let's close our section here. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Be patient. That word patient in the Greek means have endurance, long-lasting. You know what endurance is? It's when you face pressure, it doesn't stop you. Some of us need to suck it up a little bit in our lives. Some of us need to put on a helmet and learn that life is not easy. And if we only serve Jesus when life is good, then I think you're following the wrong Jesus. Endure, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Then he says, consider farmers who patiently wait for the rains to fall and in the spring. Fall in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other. I just needed a Selah moment on that. Don't grumble about each other. I had a Bears fan approach me before service and say, how was last week's game? Don't grumble about each other. Brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge, capital J, judge, he's standing at the door. So before you look to judge others, you better look behind you. 
For example, for examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look to the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a great man of endurance, and you can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. He uses that illustration. Look at the farmers. Look at the farmers. For you to produce anything, you have to endure. Do we have any farmers in the house today? Any farmers? You only, oh, we got one farm. You're, you liar head. You're not, you used to be a farmer. Your dad's a farmer, I know. We need to start witnessing the farmers in this church. Farmers will tell you, there's no such thing as a microwave version of farming. You got to work. You got to wait. And if you endure the trials that you feel in the moment, in the earthly and the temporary, it feels like the pain won't go, that the marriage issue won't go away, that the child will never come back to Jesus, that work will never get better. The moment the pressure feels terrible, but if you will wait on God, God, when He works in your life, never leaves it fruitless. Keep enduring, keep waiting, keep trusting, keep working, keep looking to God, keep loving, keep forgiving, because He will produce something at the end. Because the scripture says, He will work all things together for the good of the Lord, for the good of those that love the Lord. And sometimes the work that He does doesn't always work in our lifetime. Sometimes He uses you to work, not so you can see the end, so you can hand the baton to somebody else. But trials are temporary. And in James 8 through 9, he says, in the middle of the trial, there is a challenge to go into disunity. And I'm here to say, for your marriages, for your family, and for this church, we need to fight like never before for unity. The enemy has a plan for the church. It's called disunity. What we're about to face in 2024, you mark my words, I'm, gonna, I'm planning on a series next year. I'm going to preach a series about God and politics leading into the, to the election. You know what I'm, what I'm going to call it? It's going to be called Purple Nation. Sounds weird, right? Now, I told my wife, she's like, Purple Nation? I said, well, when you take the red and the blue, you mix it. And at the same time, what color is a bruise? We are so busy bruising each other up. And the enemy is winning a war of the unity. We need to fight for unity. Unity doesn't mean uniformity, but it means if we come together, we can do more together than we can ever do apart. And so James says, stop judging each other and tearing each other apart. Come together. Why? Because God's got a plan. So look to the farmers. God's got something planted, and God's plan won't be stopped. And he drops this beautiful last phrase. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. What does that tell me? If we don't get it right, He doesn't abandon us behind. He offers grace, He offers forgiveness, and He offers strength for the journey. I had, every once in a while, when I, when I think of an illustration, I have to make calls. So I called, there's a gentleman in our church, he is training to be a pilot for a hot, a, a hot air balloon. That's pretty sweet, right? I've been asking him if he'd let me bungee jump once he starts learning how to do the, the what do you call it, the hot air bl uh, balloon thing. And so uh, my wife has already said no, but that's one fun fight I'm hoping to win. 
about a hot air balloon. I was asking him this. I'm like, talk to me about how you direct a hot air balloon. He says, really, it's about studying the day and you have to study where the winds are going. Because the reality is, is that a hot air balloon is really subject, a victim to prevailing winds. Some of us in this room, we are subjecting ourselves to the prevailing winds of whatever is trending in our culture. Instead of, instead of being in a hot air balloon, I need you to be a jet. I need you to know how to get to the destination. I need you to have a purpose in mind, which is what God wants you to do. I need you to go after it, to fly after it. Does it mean there's not going to be turbulence? There will be turbulence. Does it mean you might be put into a holding pattern every now, now and again? Absolutely. But know this, you're going to get there. But you got to endure. You got to push. You got to go after it. Why? Because the Lord is near. And it's not time for the church to sit on their hands and sing kumbaya and sing all is well. There's an old, old hymn. Some of you heard me talk about it. It's my most hated hymn in all of the hymnals. And this, the hymn is called Hold the Fort. It is the worst hymn imaginable. Because the subject of the hymn let's just hold it together. There's attack coming. Let's just come together and hold it together. God's not called us to hold it together. That's His job. It's our job to respond in obedience to Him because He is near. Well, Pastor, what if, he, what if He doesn't come back tomorrow? Then it might be the next day. Then it might be the next day. It might be the next decade or the next century. What, when He comes, does not matter to me. What matters is that I'm living for Him and I'm following Him and I'm showing this world who Jesus is. That's why we've called this Friday night at what time? Seven o'clock. We've called it Let There Be Light. Because we are going to receive light that we would be light. Would you pray with me today? Lord, I thank you for the moment that we've had this, this day to just exalt the name of Jesus. To lift up the only name that's worth lifting up. To celebrate the only one that's worth celebrating. And Lord, we have navigated some tough, tough, tough scriptures today that are there really for our benefits. That this morning, that we would receive correction, even the discipline of the conviction of your spirit today that would shape us. And so what I say over our lives this morning, especially over mine, Welcome, Holy Spirit. We welcome your correction. We welcome the shaping of our lives, Lord. Because we don't want to live life with an eternal, with this temporary attitude. That life is about the moment. We want the eternal attitude that recognizes we've got a brief mist, fog of a life on this earth. And we want to make as much of an impact as we can. You've not placed us here just to take up space and just to post a couple scriptures on our Facebook and feel like we've done it all. Lord, you want to make our lives as cities set on a hill, as lamps upon lampstands, all for the glory and the power of Jesus. Can we give God one more hand clap of praise in the house?